God is our ultimate source. And Jesus is our mirror reflecting back who we are as beloved. We share in Christ's identity. It's just important to understand that identity is actually not something we can create, though we try. It's really something that we locate and we find. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love That Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. 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 To the Cast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we're actually going to be talking about ego identity and the Enneagram. And that's actually going to lead to our next episode, which is going to be about psychological defense mechanisms for each of the types. And if that sounds really intimidating, like crazy language to you, just stick with us. We promise we're going to make it very easy to understand. But we really can't talk about those defense mechanisms and have that conversation without first laying a foundation. We need to understand why these defenses exist and what they're protecting. And that foundation is actually found in something known as ego identity. Right, so today we're gonna focus on this ego identity, what it is, how it's formed, and why we should pay attention to it. Yeah, and to do that, we actually have joining us as our special guest, Lisa Vischer. Lisa is a certified Enneagram coach and educator who has been working with the Enneagram for over 25 years. Her current focus is supporting pastors and ministry leaders through mentoring and training to become more healthy, whole, and equipped to serve. Lisa is actually married to Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales. And some of our listeners, how might some of our listeners actually know you, Lisa? (laughs) Uh, Probably it's the voice of Junior Asparagus. The voice of Junior Asparagus. (laughs) Yeah. Well, welcome to the show, Lisa. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited to be here. Well, we're really glad to have you. I guess let's let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about ego identity. But I think even before we talk about ego identity, let's just talk about identity. So what is identity and why does that even matter? Yeah, it matters a lot. So just before we get started, I just want to clarify that um, I'm not a trained therapist or psychologist, um, but kind of what I'm going to be talking about with you, pretty universal teaching in the Enneagram community and what I've learned um, in these last years as I've been studying. I've always been interested in psychology, and so I'm just going to share the best of my understanding, and I hope you'll do the same, Jesse and Lindsay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, identity, the fundamental question that humans ask, what is it? Yeah. Who am I? Who am I, right? That, That is the fundamental core human question. I think the question under the question of who am I is, am I loved for who I am? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So when we're talking about identity, we're sitting in the heart center, um, which we know is the center of emotional bond. It's the center of love, emotional connection. So identity and bond and love are things that are all interconnected and inform each other. For example, if I don't know who I am, I can't form a bond. And if I can't bond, I don't know that I'm loved. So identity is really the core concern of our heart. And so what I like to say is that just like breathing relaxes the body, identity relaxes the heart. Mm. And so mm, that's that's like the nature of our breathing, if it's deep or slow, if it's rapid and shallow, that's going to determine if my body is in a state of, an, on, of alarm 
or a state of relaxation. Uh, and the same is true of our heart, I think. I think a healthy sense of identity determines if my heart is in a state of alarm or a state of relaxation. So in my view, identity is a core emotional need that enables relational connection and bonding. Wow, that's really good. I'm just resonating with everything you're saying already. Um, can you share a little bit more about how our identity is formed and where it comes from? Yeah, that is such a good question. Interestingly, the answer to the question of who am I is actually centered in whose am I? Where did I come from? What's the origin or the source of my existence? And how does that source feel about me? So identity formation, as I said, is critical to emotional well-being and our capacity to bond or attach properly with other human beings. And we're not really born with a sense of self. Identity is actually formed. It's formed through interaction with others. And this starts uh, in infancy on our attachment to our mother or our primary caregiver. And so infants, of course, you know, it's like the question is, how, how can an infant start forming identity? They can't really do much. They sleep and they eat, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they do a lot of eating and secure attachment is partially formed through eye contact. And infants can't see very well, but I remember reading once um, that the clearest range of sight for infants is around 10 inches. And this is this perfect distance between the eyes of a baby and the eyes of the mother when it's being fed. Mm. And so the child really locates himself in the eyes of the mother looking back. I am wanted. I am valued. I am loved. And then these mirror neurons fire to create attunement and connection. And that's what allows the baby to develop emotionally uh, and otherwise. Mm. So secure attachment and bonding establishes self-worth that enables us to receive ourselves so that we can receive others with the same open heart. So if we kind of switch to, to the spiritual side of things. God is our ultimate source and Jesus is our mirror reflecting back who we are as beloved. We share in Christ's identity. So just kind of as, as relationally derived, it's just important to understand that identity is actually not something we can create though we try. It's really something that we locate and we find and it's found in source. And that's a problem because sin separates us from source right, and separates right. us from God. And that leaves us with an identity vacuum. There's this fundamental problem that sin creates emotionally in my heart. I don't know who I am. I don't know whose I am. And so if identity calms and settles the heart, lack of identity equals like emotional freak out. Mm. Hmm. You know, one of the things that stuck out to me is just how frequently you were talking about the way that people connect to other people and that that also is about yeah. the way that they connect with God as well. And it makes me think of something that Richard Plass often says, which is the way you relate is the way you relate. Mm. So, mm. you know, the way you connect to other people, your peers, your spouse, mm. your kids, that dynamic you're taking straight into your relationship with God as well. Right. So you can see like how important this, this core issue of identity is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You said it well. Does what created me love me and want me? Yeah. That's a, a great question. L let me ask this then. Like, how does ego fit into all of this? You know, how does ego fit into our identity? Has it formed? You know, what's its function? Yeah. So I can tell you kind of how I talk about this. Um, so I'll start with the fact that God brings order to chaos. And that is within the creation story. That is part of what he does. And we are made in that image and we do the same. We do. We create order consciously. Um, as we group ourselves and create rhythms, we do it unconsciously where it's actually, we are wired neurologically to create order because neurologically the brain operates via patterning. 
that the brain is firing neural neurons and creating neural pathways and trying to to create patterns and habits because that ends up freeing up my attention. Can you imagine if we had to put all of our attention and energy into walking across the street the same way we did <laughs> when we were toddler? Right. Yeah. Right. So we create all of these patterns and the more patterns we create, the more energy or more attention is freed up. But the world that we find ourselves in is chaos. It's a fallen world. I talk about psychological ego is our strategy for being in this world, in this chaotic world. And it's our way of bringing order. So the ego is certainly different than identity. The ego is something that we create and it's a construct of habits and patterns that attempt to bring order to chaos by giving mm -hmm. us a predictable and organized response to fallen reality. And I'm very thankful for it because if you can imagine what it would be like if everyone reorganized themselves every moment in a totally chaotic and unpredictable way, we'd, we'd have no ability to do anything. We couldn't relate. We have to create a sense of order. Ego is sometimes talked about as the false self, which I think is true because it's the part of us that has been modified and formed by our interaction with the world. Mm. It's the part of me that has adapted to the world in a very particular way. And then that part of me, these patterns get hijacked by fear because we're in a fallen world. And so we're in a state of fear. And then fear hijacks these patterns um, in order to sort of employ all of these parts of my being and particularly my thoughts and my feelings and my behaviors in order to defend myself and create a sense of security. So is ego the same as personality? So no, I guess the way I would say it is that personality Generally, what we're talking about when we're saying my personality is we're talking about our cognitive, emotional, and behavioral patterns, mm. head, head, heart, and body. Yeah. Um, and so that is an external manifestation. Those are external manifestations of this ego structure. So the ego structure contains personality. The ego structure is actually made up of these three components, and it's more internal. There's this internal structure made up of three components that get expressed in personality uh, behaviors. And as I've read, the personality behaviors are a little more fluid than that internal core type structure. Mm. Okay, so Lisa, summarize for us, uh, if you could do like a one sentence summary about everything you just said, how would you boil it down? Um, I would say that identity is who we are and that ego is who we aren't, but are trying to be. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, when we come back, we're going to be unpacking the three parts of the ego's defense structure. So stay with us. Hi, listeners. It's Anna, media editor. Here at Love Thy Neighborhood, we partner directly with local nonprofits right here in Louisville. Over the past seven years, our interns have provided over 130,000 work hours, free of charge to local ministries. I'm Lisa Ray. I'm the development director for Beside You for Life. Beside You for Life is a pregnancy resource center that provides education and holistic care for women facing crisis pregnancies, responding to their needs, and protecting the lives of unborn children. Beside You for Life seeks to provide a safe and emotionally supportive place for women to hear and experience the gospel while being equipped in very practical ways to live productive and flourishing lives. Lisa shared with me how our interns support the work of the ministry. They help me with donor relations, making some phone calls, marketing, which includes social media and flyers and email blasts and things like that. And she also told me how one of our interns has used their specific skills to support the work at Beside You. 
we've utilized her skills in a meaningful way and things that make a difference in the ministry, not just busy work. And I think that's really made her feel, gosh, more a part of the mission. And so she's really helped us to, to fill in some of the gap that we would otherwise have with other volunteers. If you're a young adult looking for an internship where social action and Christian community meet, check out our website at lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Again, that's lovethyneighborhood.org. Welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lindsay Lewis. Okay, so we were talking about identity. We're talking about the ego. And so I think now let's talk a little bit more about defense structure. So before the break, you said the ego is made up of three defenses. What are those three defenses? Yeah, this is so important to understand. So our ego is made up of idealization patterns, avoidance patterns, and defensive patterns. So each type structure coming out of those patterns has three things, an idealized sense of self, a core avoidance, and a psychological defense mechanism. Hmm. Okay, so let's briefly talk about each of these defenses and the role that they play. I guess let's just start with the first one, which is the idealized self. What is the idealized self? So here we're gonna start talking about image, and this becomes the foil now for identity. It's why we started with identity. So. Essentially, self-image is a psychological substitute for identity, a a poor one, but it's our attempt at one. Mm. So in a fallen world, um, again, we're disconnected from source. We don't know who we are, where we came from. And so that creates what I would maybe call a spiritual orphanhood um, with a hole in our heart where identity goes. And so to fill that void, we are basically prone to to over-identify with anything and everything that's outside of us including the type structure. That's one of the main fallouts of the type structure is that we over-identify with it, which we sometimes actually reinforce unwittingly when we say I'm a three or I'm a four. Yeah. Um, You know, we we really kind of want to be careful about that because this isn't who we are. (laughs) But we do over-identify with the type structure using the things that differentiate us from others, like my unique values or concerns or my habits. And that creates for me a sense of myself. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is how it's like my coping strategy becomes a sense of self for me. So who I actually am starts to get wrapped up in my patterns. And so really what we're doing is we're unconsciously looking to our psychology to solve this fundamental spiritual issue and core emotional need. Hmm. But what we're making here again is an identity. It can't be. For one thing, identity is un- is unseen. What we're making is how we want to see ourselves. Hmm. And how I want others to see me as to make so that I feel worthy of love. So from an early age, kind of who I believe I am and how I view myself gets tangled up with my psychological makeup. And so we're unconsciously creating a self image that then we become very emotionally attached to. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So why is this image idealized? Yeah. So the answer to that is fear. (laughs) So the ego is fear driven. And fear can't do nuance, fear can't do grace, fear can't hold things together and reconcile. So the ego self is really a binary construct that tends to think in terms of either or, tends to think in terms of all or nothing, you know, right or wrong. 
And so each Enneagram type is creating this idealized sense of self or self image to feel worthy. And we can't ever feel worthy enough to be deserving of love. And so we have to idealize it. Mm. I can, I have to be this and I cannot be that or the self image isn't held up. So we've been talking in like these pretty big, broad strokes, mm-hmm. kind of abstract terms. Let's land this a little bit. Let's get a little more specific. Can you give us a quick rundown of the idealized image for all nine of the types? Yes. So the self-image, the idealized sense of self for ones is I am good and I am not bad. Mm-hmm. So ones, you know, they also think of themselves in terms of like I, of being right and being serious. I am serious. I'm conscientious, which means I'm not the opposite of those things. I'm not wrong. I'm not frivolous. I'm not negligent. So what ends up happening is the I am piece of this is the idealization and the I am not ends up becoming a projection because what we're doing is we're taking something that's actually true about me and we're banishing it, we're projecting it out onto Mm -hmm. other people. So when ones are projecting, like if this is me, I am good, but this is not me. I'm not bad. I don't do bad things. Then when ones are projecting the not me characteristics onto people, then they can feel like Tell me if this is true, Lindsay. I'm surrounded by people who are messy and irresponsible (laughs) and principled and aimless and careless. Yes. They're not trying as hard as I am. That's for sure. (laughs) Right. And and it's that comes out of the sense of self that you have of like, I I am this and I am not that. And I'm I'm sort of projecting this all out here away Mm -hmm. from myself. Mm -hmm. So twos, I am selfless. I am not selfish. And again, these start because these are serving the function, the emotional function of kind of trying to be a placeholder for identity. This means my emotional well-being is on the line with being selfless and not being selfish. Mm. So I have to be these things. So twos will also think of themselves as being loving and warm and helpful, which means I'm not withholding. I'm not cold. I'm not needy. Mm. Uh, And so when twos are projecting their not me characteristics on other people, they feel like they're surrounded by selfish, uncaring, detached, thoughtless people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also why uh, twos feel ashamed when they have a need. Right. And they get pretty distracted because you can see why, you know, you feel like you have to do it all if no one else is paying attention. So three, I am successful. I am not. And the word I'm putting in here is I'm not ineffective. I, we could say unsuccessful, but I, I am a three. So I'll, I'll share that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tend to think of three through the lens of ableism. I can as opposed to I can't. I'll get this done as opposed to I will fail to get this done. I will be successful with this. I will not be unsuccessful when I'm projecting the not me characteristics of myself because I tend to think of myself as hardworking and efficient and capable instead of the opposite of those things. So I I can feel surrounded by people who are slow and unmotivated and inadequate, uh, not getting getting their stuff done, maybe ambitionless, uninspired. So that's the three. Four, I am special. I am not ordinary. Fours also think of themselves as being authentic and original and passionate, but not false or conventional or detached. So fours, when they're projecting their not me characteristics, they can feel like they're surrounded by people who are insensitive, unrefined, tasteless, and superficial. So you can kind of get a sense now of like the people in your life, if you know their Enneagram types of how they might be experiencing you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When we're sort of projecting these negative characteristics that we can't hold onto each other. So for fives, the idealized sense of self, I am knowledgeable. I'm not incompetent. 
Fives also think of themselves as being wise and rational and contained, not foolish or emotional or effusive. So in five, my husband's a five. Actually, Sky Jatani's a five too. So that's a very five podcast. That yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, Sky was on the Enneacast a couple seasons ago with us. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I listened to that. That was so fun. So when fives are projecting, they're not me characteristics onto others. Loud people, flippant people, uninformed people, simplistic people, foolish people. We want to get those things away from us and out onto other people. That's not me. Sixes, I'm loyal. I'm not disloyal. I mean, these are really just opposites, right? So sixes also think of themselves as being trustworthy and vigilant, uh, responsible. They're not traitorous and untrustworthy and reckless. So when sixes are projecting their not me characteristics, then they're surrounded by people who are unreliable and deviant and reckless and untrustworthy. So that's not a very fun existence when you feel like you're surrounded by those kinds of people. You can Mm -hmm, see why maybe they start doubting or not being sure. So sevens, I am okay. I'm fine. I am not unhappy. You'd think that seven sense of self would be like, I am great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I have an unhigh authority from sevens who teach the Enneagram. No, no, no. It's I am okay. I am not not okay. I will always be okay. I'm good. Mm. Sevens think of themselves as being joyful and optimistic and fun, but not joyless or pessimistic and boring, which is sort of what they feel surrounded by, mm-hmm. right? Boring, depressed, negative, reserved, and humorless people. <laughs> <laughs> That's not me. Never. Eights, I am strong. I am not weak. So eights think of themselves as being tough and self-reliant and confident, but not soft and not needy and not insecure, which is what we all appear to them. Uh, when they start projecting their son, they're not me characteristics. And then lastly, nines, I am peaceful. I am not divisive. So nines think of themselves as being agreeable and patient and cooperative, not disagreeable, not pushy, not troublemakers. That's what all of you are. (laughs) So we all do this, right? We all separate this idealized sense of self from the thing we cannot let ourselves be in order to feel worthy of love. And obviously, you know, all of these traits we mentioned of loyalty and and goodness and selflessness, like these are good traits. Um, They're good things to want. The sole problem with it is that we're investing our identity and our values, human beings in them. Mm. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So what really all of this means is that instead of identifying as what we've been talking about as made and loved by God and perfected in Christ, this sense of self gets wrapped up in trying to achieve a particular version of perfection to feel worthy. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of pressure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we've been going through the three defenses of the ego. We just went through the very first one, which is the idealized self. Stay with us because when we come back, we're going to be going through the avoidance pattern for each of the nine types. And also Lisa Fisher has tips for each of the nine types. So make sure that you stay with us. All right, we'll be right back. Here at LTN, we believe that in order to be loved, you must be known. And part of being known means understanding who you are, which is why we created Mapping Your Enneagram Story. Mapping Your Enneagram Story is a workbook to help you map your life story and understand who you are. Using the lens of the Enneagram, you'll explore how the story you've lived has made you into who you are and why Jesus is the key to living a better story. To get your own copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, just go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. There you'll find Mapping Your Enneagram Story plus all our other Enneagram content. And all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. 
So go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store. Mapping your Enneagram story. Find the clarity you need to have meaningful, long-lasting relationships. Welcome back to the IndiaCast, Jesse Eubanks. Lindsay Lewis. Okay, so we've just been going through the three defenses of the ego. We just wrapped up going through the idealized self. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the avoidance pattern. So Lisa, talk to us about that. Like, what is the avoidance pattern? Right. So since identity is stabilizing to the heart and this fragile substitute identity has to be maintained and held in place... There's one particular thing that does not fit into the picture of who we are or think we should be that we try to now avoid at all costs. So this is something that we feel isn't acceptable and it feels very scary and very threatening at a deep level. Mm. So I'll just go through these nine avoidances for ones. Ones avoid being in the wrong or doing bad things, right? To maintain their self-image of being good and right. So the specific avoidance here is direct expressions of anger. Mm. So not controlling their anger, which they do have because they are a body type and they're sensitive to wrongs and and anger is the natural God-given response to wrongs. Not controlling that feels bad. And so they attempt to convert that into more acceptable form of energy like constructive criticism. So anger, avoidance for ones. So Lindsay, when you're like trying to control your anger is that why like sometimes i catch you like chain smoking <laughs> you're like you saw that uh-huh oh, i caught you man. <laughs> <laughs> okay lisa go go ahead i'm gonna i'm gonna let you two work that out after the show <laughs> all right so twos have to avoid themselves because they have to maintain the self-image of being sort of selfless and not and not selfish so they're avoiding their needs and their feelings and ultimately just kind of themselves to keep the focus on others. Threes have to avoid failure to maintain a self-image of being, you know, excellent and successful. Fours have to avoid ordinariness to maintain the self-image of being different and authentic. Fives have to avoid emptiness, like their inner emptiness, by gathering up whatever they feel they need to maintain that self-image of being knowledgeable and self-sufficient. Sixes avoid rejection and they form alliances to maintain a self-image of being loyal and devoted. Sevens avoid suffering, especially emotional suffering, to maintain a self-image of being okay and happy. Eights are avoiding weakness of any kind, including emotionally, to maintain a self-image of being strong and unhurtable. And nines are avoiding conflict inside and out to maintain this self-image of being peaceful and agreeable. Mm. So we have this idealized sense of self and we have this thing that we just have to avoid. And the problem is, is that what we avoid doesn't really go away. Mm. It sits inside of us, just outside of our awareness, where it then exerts influence on our behavior in ways that others can see, but we often don't. Right. It makes me think of, uh, I heard somebody say, whatever you disown owns you. Mm. And it's like, it's like this thing controls us that we're like, we're like the puppets, you know? Yeah. Right. And we're yeah. spending so much energy avoiding, mm-hmm. you know, instead of using yeah. that energy. Just like we just need to own way. up to the fact that this is a part of who we are. Yeah. 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 That's where we're headed. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay. So the first defense is the idealized self. The second defense is our avoidance pattern. So talk to me about the third one, which is our defensive pattern. 
right? So this shows up as defense mechanisms and defense mechanisms unconsciously protect us from things we don't want to feel or experience. So there are many defense mechanisms and we utilize them all kind of here and there. It's not, it's not that we only use one, but we do use one constantly to hold the type structure together. So basically what happens with this defense mechanism that gets assigned to each of these type structures is there's a co-opting of a natural strength of that type structure and then turning it into this defense. So think of the psychological defense mechanism as the enforcer of your type structure. Mm. It jumps into action you know, whenever the type structure is threatened by something external or even something within myself. Whenever there's a threat, it, this is going to come up when our sense of self gets threatened or when our habits that we're used to running, our coping habits, uh, get challenged. Yeah, it's, it's the bouncer at the door. That's right. <laughs> the enforcer, the bouncer. Yeah. Uh, and so this will operate both circumstantially because we practice it so much. It also operates habitually. So now we're just doing it a lot and all the time because we've just been practicing it forever. So they're habits, right? And so habit, here's the problem is habits operate unconsciously and automatically without my awareness and without my permission. That is the problem with a habit. So this is just operating and it's also serving a very key emotional purpose in sort of maintaining my sense of self for me. So we don't notice when it's running, you know, it's really hard for us to spot when we're doing it. Oftentimes we get that feedback, right? From other people that sort of reflected back or we look back later. So to summarize our defensive construct includes this idealized self image. It includes this avoidance pattern, which reinforces that self image. And then this defense mechanism that keeps everything locked in place and enforces when our sense of self has gotten threatened. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. So I think that we need to dig in deeper into the psychological defense mechanisms. And so we're going to do that actually in the next episode. So make sure that you come back because Lisa's going to join us again for us to go more in depth on the psychological defense mechanisms. Uh, we're going to go through each of the nine types, talk about those defense mechanisms, as well as how each type can grow from their defense into their true self in Christ. Wait, but before we go, Lisa's going to give us some tips to help us not be so defensive. Okay, Lisa, so what advice do you have for us in dealing with our self-image and avoidance patterns? Let's talk spiritually first. We want to distinguish our self-image from our true identity. So my first tip is remember who you are. Who does God say I am? What identity do I share with Christ? And basically just we want to continually affirm and reaffirm our identity in Christ every day, multiple times a day to reinforce to ourselves that this is who I am, not this idealized sense of self. Psychologically, one thing that you can do um, is we want to enlarge our self-concept, right? To include both the me and the not me. So we want to work to reintegrate parts of ourselves that we weren't able to hold because so we banished them. So there's this exercise where you can draw a line down the center of a piece of paper and make two columns. And on the left at the top, write I am. And then list all words you can think of that in your mind reflect who you are or who you want to believe that you are. And that reflects some of the idealizations we've talked about today. You just make up this list. 
And then on the right side, put I am not. And what you're going to just do is just do the opposite of those words you have on the left and get your little I am and I am not list. And then sit with that list, particularly with the words that are on the right side. And think, how are these actually true of me sometimes? And just see if you can hold both sides together and notice what happens inside of you when you do that. You know, so for example, I'll give an example. Ones, I I do both good and bad things sometimes. I'm sometimes right, I'm sometimes wrong. I can hold those things together. This does not threaten my identity as loved. And then you can also with that list is you can reframe some of those negative words to kind of just create some receptivity to make friends with them. So for example, you know, twos, could you view the word selfish as self-caring? Or could you view the word inconsiderate as independent? Or I'll give you another example, like nines, could you reframe pushy as maybe determined? Or reframe intense as focused? So play around with this list. If any, just sit and look at it and ask Jesus to speak to you about who you are, apart from what the words are on that page, and enlarge the self-concept of what is true about you that does not threaten your identity in any way. Mm, That's great. That's great. Secondly, and working with that avoidance, you know, this might seem obvious, but we really need to accept and move toward the painful and scary thing that we are always trying to avoid and invite God to do work in us through moving toward that. So I would say ones, work on accepting and moving toward your anger and see if it's as bad as it feels and invite Jesus to move toward anger with you. Two is work on accepting and moving toward yourself and what you need and just see if it's as selfish as it feels and let Jesus move toward your own experience with you. Threes, work on accepting and moving toward your failures. You can do it. I've done it. See if it's as fatal as it feels and let Jesus move toward failures with you. And fours, work on accepting and moving toward the ordinary parts of you and of life and see if it's as insignificant as it feels. And let Jesus move toward ordinariness with you. So fives, accept and move toward feelings of emptiness and depletion and just see if it's as tiring as it feels. And let Jesus move toward that emptiness with you. Sixes, accept and move toward feelings of challenge and independence and see if it's as scary as it feels. And let Jesus move toward challenge with you. Sevens. Okay, sevens, accept and move toward feelings of sorrow and grief and just see if it's as permanent as it feels. And let Jesus move toward sadness with you. Eights, accept and move toward feelings of weakness and tenderness and see if it's as hard as it feels. And let Jesus move toward weakness with you. And nines, accept and move toward feelings of tension and conflict and just see if it's as intolerable as it feels. And definitely let Jesus move toward a conflict with you. Mm. There is sacred work to be done in moving toward what we would rather avoid. Jesus actually set that example for us. He moved toward what he would rather avoid, and he modeled the victory and transformation that comes from doing so. Yeah. Mm. That is so good. It's powerful. Yeah. If you benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our guest today, Lisa Vischer. And stick around for the next episode because Lisa will be back to talk with us about our psychological defense mechanisms, 
For even more about Lisa, including how to sign up for one of her Enneagram workshops, head over to her website at lisavisher.com. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year and grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Our media director and producer is Rachel Zabo. Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Lindsay Lewis. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Thank you.